Well, church, I want to just remind you of something that you already know this afternoon, briefly, um, that's been on my mind. But please open your Bibles to Colossians. Paul the Apostle's letter to the saints at Colossae, chapter 1. Like I said, I want to review a Pauline idea, really a Christian idea, and the probably the best way to get the idea in its context is just to read the first chapter. So let's do that. Colossians chapter 1. He writes, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, Grace be unto you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world and bringeth forth fruit, as it doth also in you, since the day you heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, <clears throat> strengthened with all might according to His glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell, And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, 
who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the influence or of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus." Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Well, may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of Holy Scripture. The idea that I wanted us to be briefly reminded of this afternoon is there in verses 26 through 28, where the great apostle reveals a gospel mystery. The reason or that the reason that Christians have a hope for the glory of life, that is, everlasting life, and even more specifically, the reason that Gentile Christians have this hope of glory is because of the indwelling presence of Jesus. Because of His mysterious presence. The mystery is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Verse 27. In Job 14.14, the old patriarch asks, if a man die, shall he live again? And Job notes, there is hope of a tree if it be cut down, that it will sprout again, that the tender branch thereof will not cease. Though the root thereof wax old in the earth and the stalk thereof die in the ground, yet through the scent of water it will bud and bring forth boughs like a plant. But man dieth and wasteth away, yea, man giveth up the ghost, and where is he? Verses 7 through 9. Tree is better off, sounds like. Can man who has died live again? Or when he dies, is the glory clean gone forever? Well, saints, you know the Christian answer to that ancient query. With the benefit of progressive revelation, we can see plainly that Holy Scripture uniformly teaches that man shall live again. The prophet Isaiah proclaims a word from Jehovah and he says, Dead men shall live. Together with my dead body shall they arise. Awake and sing, you that dwell in the dust. For thy dew is as the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Isaiah 26 verse 19. In a mysterious prophecy, In the book of Daniel, Daniel writes, Many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. 
And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Daniel 12, verses 2 and 3. Now those are a couple of ancient prophets, Old Covenant prophets. And listen, at the time that Isaiah or Daniel uttered those prophetic words, they would not have understood them. They wouldn't have understood them. They would have no context into which, in which to understand them, unless maybe the context uh, as radical statements of the absolute sovereignty of God. That would have been a context they could probably understand. Surely the creator of life, the one who calleth things that be not as though they were, surely such a God who has created life can... Awake even the dead. But with the benefit of progressive revelation, ancient mysteries have been revealed. Recall that when Jesus our Savior walked this earth as a man, he raised at least three people from the dead. He raised Lazarus, who had been dead for several days. This is John 11 and 12. He raised Jairus' daughter, Mark 5, Luke 8. And he raised the widow of Nain's son, Luke 7. Do you remember those? And he may, have, he may have raised more, but those are the explicit claims of the evangelist. And then we have the apostolic teaching concerning the resurrection of Jesus our Savior teaching that sees the resurrection of Jesus as an open vindication of His ministry by the Almighty, as well as interpreting Jesus' resurrection as a decisive blow to Satan, specifically by overcoming the power of death. Hebrews 2.14 He destroyed him that hath the power of death, comma, that is, the devil. And I know that you recall that St. Paul hangs the entire validity, the veracity of the Christian religion on the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. Paul does. Understanding that if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Jesus of Nazareth was not raised if there is no resurrection. And if Jesus wasn't raised and is dead, then all of Christianity is a pitiful sham. 1 Corinthians 15. It's worse than a joke. So, listen, let us not doubt, beloved. But let us believe with all saints that God, who has caused the light to shine out of darkness, God who created life, can restore life, can recreate life. And listen, He has. And he will. Jesus is considered prototypical, a prototype. Young people, do you know what a prototype is? That's the first example. What does proto mean, Eric, in Greek? First. First type. It's the first example. Test 
a test version. <laughs> and he passed. <laughs> Listen, if you believe in the resurrection of the dead, and we do, then the facticity of the resurrection is not the concern. The dead shall live again. The fact is not the issue. The existential question, listen, the existential question for the believer in the resurrection of the dead is not the fact of it, but his or her participation in it. You understand? Will it be a participation of glory or a participation of shame, separation, darkness, everlasting death? Peter teaches that the end of the Christian faith, the telos, is the salvation of our souls. I want you to receive the end, the telos of your salvation, comma, even the salvation of your soul. Telos, you know, is the Greek word for end or goal or terminus. It's where we get our English words teleology, the study of ends. It's where we get our English word telescope. I'm looking way out to the end. And the Petrine doctrine is that the end of the Christian's faith is the ultimate salvation of his or her soul. And Peter and Paul are unified, listen, in their desire to encourage the people of God. And do you know what encourages people? Peter and Paul want to encourage the saints. And do you know what encourages people? People are encouraged when they have hope. People are encouraged when they have hope. Listen, hopeless people become discouraged. Hopeless people become discouraged. Hopeless people become downcast, disheartened, dejected, dispirited, disconsolate. And beloved, listen, let us not be hopeless. Let's not be discouraged, downcast, downtrodden distraught because we have great cause for hope hope full we should be full of hope when David and the other psalmists are dejected do you know what they do they encourage themselves in the Lord so in Psalm 41 verse 5 and again in verse 11 we read the psalmist encouragement hope thou in God and he's talking to himself He's, uh, hope in God. And in Psalm 43, 5, hope in God. Hope thou in God. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Hope in God. Well, the Pauline mind melds perfectly with the psalmists in this. For Paul posits the believer's hope for the glory of everlasting life purely in Jesus. Jesus in us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Beloved, listen, (laughs) if we are to have a a resurrection, uh, have a hope of resurrection, a recreation, 
everlasting life, a hope of being made like the resurrected man, Jesus, the prototype. We'll have that by a life of faith, by a heart of faith, by reception of Christ, by faith, by an indwelling of Jesus, by Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, the way that Paul talks is important. In his letter to the Galatians, he writes, When it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach Him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. This is Galatians 1, verses 15 through 17. To reveal His Son in me, Paul says. The, the Greek preposition is in, and it can mean either in or it can mean to, depending on the context. But the Net Bible, the NIV, the New American Standard, the KJV all translate it in. The ESV translates it to. You know, the ESV, that new novel translation. All the rest translate it in. Surely, listen, surely Jesus was revealed to Paul. I mean, wasn't he? Uh, It was a dramatic revelation. He knocks Paul off his high horse with a blinding display of the glory of God. But Jesus was also revealed in Paul. As the wild, persecuting Pharisee becomes the mild, possessor of the mind of Christ, the persecuted saint. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who was that about? That was about Jesus, friend. That was about Paul, too. And that was Paul who was, and who was Paul? Paul was just Saul, but with Jesus in him. Paul was just Saul with Jesus in him. So, beloved, is Christ in you? It is Christ believed in the mind. What is Christ in you? It is Christ believed in the mind. It's an embrace of the Pauline gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, 1-11. To have Christ in you is to say in your mind, I believe the record that God has given concerning His Son. I believe it. Do you? You can't unless you have Christ in you. He's the author of faith. Faith doesn't work apart from the mind. It includes the understanding, the intentions, the will. And the understanding of faith says, Jesus has come. 
And He is the true God. He is eternal life. Jesus said, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am He that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and death. Revelation 1, 17 and 18. God the Father has given to Jesus the Son the keys of hell and death. And He is alive forevermore. And listen, because He has those keys, neither hell nor death nor any other thing can hold those whom Jesus claims as His own. And so, beloved, listen, our hope is in Christ. That we are in Christ and that Christ is in us. Well, you Christians are just crazy about Jesus. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. He came unto His own. Jews? He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John 1, 11 through 13. Remember, remember that you, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh, made by hands, remember that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For He is our peace, who hath made both one, having broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of two one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were far off, and to them that were nigh. For through Him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all this building fitly framed together groweth, unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also were builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. 
For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Saints, listen. Don't be downcast. Our hope is not in this world. Not in politics, not in health, not in wealth or earthly success. Our Savior is a king. But His kingdom is not of this world. And our ultimate allegiance is higher than any of the kings of this world can understand. Our hope is in our King. A King who by faith is in us. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Glory.